Chapter 2 of the Boy Scouts Along the Susquehanna This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Nishka Sharma The Boy Scouts Along the Susquehanna by Herbert Carter Chapter 2 Sighing for Trouble Well, I'm sorry. That's all ejaculated step hen what at demanded giraffe we ought to be puffed up with pride over our success and here you go pulling a long face what ails you step hen it's just this way muttered the scout addressed disconsolately we never did run across a better chance to have a great time than when we started out on this hobo chase and here it's turned out too easy for anything. Shucks, a tenderfoot might have followed that wandering George right along to here, and now all we've got to do is to surround the camp and make him fork over that old blue coat the judge loves so well. It's a shame, that's what. I feel something the same way you do, Step Hen, remarked Alan. Why, I figured on doing all sorts of smart stunts while we were on this hike, and here, before a chance comes along, we quarrel our game. I'm just as sorry as you, sir, observed the southern boy, with the accent that stamped him a true Dixie lad. But I reckon now you wouldn't have that tell us to sheer off and give the hobos a chance to run away, just to let us keep up this chase. We promised to recover that old army coat for the judge, and for one, I'd be ashamed to look him in the face again. Sir, if we let it slip through our fingers on account of wanting to lengthen the sport. That's the right sort of talk, Bob White, said Thad, with a nod of his head and a sparkle in his eyes. Much as we all like the sport of showing what we know in the way of woodcraft, duty comes first and we couldn't shrink our responsibility in this case just to gratify our liking for action. What's the program, then, Chad? asked Smith, yawning as though he did not feel quite as much interest in the chase as some of the others. For Smithy, of late, Thad noticed with regret, was apparently losing some of his former vigor and acting as though ready to shirk his duty when it didn't, come, didn't happen to appeal to him very strongly. We can have a little fun out of the thing by planning a complete surround, can't we, Dad? asked Step Hen eagerly. I hope you say yes to that, Mr. Scoutmaster, added Giraffe, because it'll be apt to take some of the sting out after having our game come to such a sudden end. I was going to say something along those lines. Boys, if you had let me, Thad told them. So far, the tramps have given no sign that they suspect our being here. We'll arrange it so as to surround the camp, and then, at a signal from me, everybody stand up and show themselves. I'll arrange it so that we'll make a complete circle around the fire, and to do so, that will move in couples. He immediately paired them off, and each detachment was told 
what was expected of it in making of the move a practical success. Even in these apparently small matters, Thad proved himself a capable commander, for he picked out the most able to undertake the difficult part of the work, while Smitty and Bumpus was delegated the easier task of crawling along the side of the road until they found shelter close to the hoax fire. Giraffe and the step hen were ordered to cross to the other side of the road and, making a little detour, came up from the north. The remaining four scouts branched off to the south, and it was the intention of Thad, taking Davy Jones along, to continue enveloping moment until he could approach from the opposite quarter, which would mean along the road in the other direction. Meanwhile, Bob White and Allen would be taking positions to the south and then curbing their impatience until Thad had signaled and learned that all of them were in place. This was a most interesting piece of work for the boys. They delighted in such practices and for the simple reason that it enabled them to bring to bear on the matter all the knowledge they had managed to accumulate connected with the real tactics of scouting as practiced by hunters and Indians, as well as the advance guard of an army sent out to feel of the enemy's lines. At a certain point, Thad gave Alan and Bob White the sign that they were to turn to one side and begin advancing toward the smoke again, while he and Davy would keep straight on. They did not have to creep as yet, but keeping bending low, in order to render the risk of being discovered as small as possible. Later on, however, as they headed toward the hub of the wheel, which was marked by the cooking fire, Thad and his comp companion did not hesitate to flatten themselves out on occasion, and to do some pretty fine wriggling in passing from one patch of leafless bushes to another. Every time they raised their heads cautiously to look, Davy would give one of his little chuckles, telling that the situation was eminently satisfactory so, he, so far as he could see. The two men were still hovering over the miserable little fire, which was such a poor excuse for a cooking blaze that any practical scout must curl his lip in disdain, knowing how easy it is to manage so as to have red coals instead of smoky wood when doing the cooking. Davy could see that there was no longer the first question about their being genuine tramps. A dozen signs pointed to this fact, and he found himself wondering which of the pair would turn out to be wandering George. He did not see the faded blue army coat on either of them, but then it would be only natural for the possessor to discard this extra weight when keeping so close to a warm blaze. Doubtless, the objects of the search would be found nearby, used in the lieu of a blanket to cover the form of the new owner as he slept in the open or in some farmer's haystack. Several of the scouts carried guns, even Bumpus having so burdened himself in the hope that during their chase after the lost army coat that they might happen to run across some Thad and Davy had chosen 
the longest task in making for the further side of the hobo camp. They could take it for granted when they finally reached the position the scout leader had in his eye. That all of the other detachments must by then they have arrived. To test this, Thad gave a peculiar little sound that was as near like the bark of a fox as possible. Every member of the patrol had in times past perfected himself in making just that sort of sound, and of course they would immediately recognize it as a signal of the scoutmaster, desirous of knowing whether all of them had gained their positions. There came an immediate ha-ha from across the road, and also from deeper in the woods, where Alan and Bob White were lying, but none from the Bumpoos and Smithy. Evidently, something had happened to cause a delay there. Thinking, thinking they had what they might call a snap, the two slow-moving scouts covering this quarter had delayed their advance too long and now were holding back. As the tramps, however, had heard those strange barking sounds coming from three quarters and jumped to their feet in alarm, Thad did not consider it wise to delay the exposure of their presence any longer. Accordingly, he gave a shrill whistle that was well known to the others. Imagine the consternation of the hobo campers when, from behind concealing bushes, they saw figures in khaki rise up some of them bearing threatening guns. Even Bumpus and Smithy followed suit, though not as near the fire as the rest. Perhaps the first thought of the alarmed tramps was that they were surrounded by a detachment from the militia from the, for the sight of those khaki suits must have stunned them. Before they could gather their wits together to think of resistance that was heard to call out with military precision. Close in all sides and keep them well covered, boys. At that, those who carried guns made out to aim them, and their manner was so threatening that both the hoos immediately elevated their hands, as though desirous of letting their captors see that they did not expect to offer the slightest resistance. Slowly, the scouts came forward, converging toward the common center, which of course was the smoky fire, alongside of which those two old tomato cans stood, each secured at the end of a bunch of metal ribs taken from a cast-off umbrella. That successful surround would have made a picture worthy of being framed and hung upon the wall of their meeting room in the hometown. Some of the scouts may have proudly thought as they slowly as they walked slowly forward, thrilled with the consciousness of their power. The tramps kept turning around to stare first at one pair of boys and then at another lot, as though hardly knowing whether they were awake or dreaming. If they had guilt consciousness connected with stolen chickens or other farm products, they must have believed that the strong arm of the law had found them out and that the next thing on the program would be, their be, would be their being marched off to some country town lockup. Oh, it's too easy, that's what, grumbled Step Hen disconstantly. 
like taking candy from a baby, added Giraffe, who always liked to have some spice connected with their adventures and could not bear the idea of being on a team that outclassed its rival in every department. A tough struggle was what appealed to him every time, though of course he wanted the victory to eventually settle on the banner of Silver Fox Patrol. Makes me think of that old couplet we used to say about old Alexander, Bumpus here, thought it policy to remark just to show them that he too hoped there might have been some new warm action before the tramp surrendered. Let's see. How does she go? Alexander, with 10,000 men, marched up the Alps and down again. Maybe it was Hannibal you're thinking about, Bumpus, suggested Step Hen. But it don't matter much who did it. We've gone and copied after him. I say we ought to go home by a roundabout course so as to try and stir things up some. This is sure too easy a job for scouts that have been through all that we have. The tramps were listening and eagerly drinking in all that was said. Perhaps a faint hope had begun to possess them that after all things might not turn out to be quite as bad as first appearances would indicate. Dad, it's up to you to claim that coat now, so we can evacuate this camp, observed Smithy, who was observed to be pinching his nose with thumb and forefinger as though the near presence of the tattered hopes offended his olfactory nerves, for as he had been said before, the Smith boy had been a regular dude at the time he joined the patrol, and even at this late day, the old trait occasionally cropped out. Dad looked around his comrades, and somehow, when they saw the smile on his face, a feeling bordering on consultation seized hold of them. What is it, Dad? asked Davy Jones, solitociously. Yes, why don't you tell us to get what we came after and fly the coop, demanded Giraffe, who did not fancy being so close to the ill-favored tramps much more than the elegant smithy did. There's nothing... Doing, fellows, said the acting scoutmaster with an eloquent shrug of his shoulders that carried even more weight than his words. What? almost shrieked Stephen. Do you mean to tell us that we're on the wrong trail and that neither of these gents is the one we want, wandering George? That's what ails us, admitted Thad. We counted our chickens before they were hatched, that's all. Stop and remember the descriptions we've had of this wandering George, and you'll see how we've been barking up the wrong tree. All eyes were immediately and eagerly focused on the faces of the two wandering hobos. At the same time, no doubt, there was passing through each boy's mind that description of the man who had gone off with the faded army overcoat and which had been their mainstay in the way of a clue while following the trail. End of chapter 2